Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, although we can't meet together like we normally do, um, see one another, I guess you can see me, but I can't see you. But uh, although we can't meet together like we normally do, I'm so glad that you're joining us for this live feed this morning. Uh, it's a wonderful way for us to at least touch base with each other, connect with each other, be thinking all of the church, be thinking together uh, about the same passage of Scripture at the same time. And so while we acknowledge this isn't perfect, this isn't ideal, uh, we look forward to the day that we can be back together again soon. Uh, we're still very glad to be able to connect with each other uh, this way this morning. So thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for joining us for this live feed. I also want to say um, appreciation to you, church, for um, the priority that you're putting on worship. Uh, I know that this isn't a regular corporate worship, but worship is still important. And although uh, we can't gather as a church, you can still, in your home, uh, individually or with your family, uh, still worship together, and we consider that tremendously important. And then, of course, again, very soon, uh, we'll be back together and uh, looking forward to the time that we can um, sing together again, read scripture together again, and we'll do that very soon. Just a kind of uh, a few housekeeping matters to let you know what's going on. Uh, basically, we are doing as the rest of the country is doing. supposed to be our celebration of our church anniversary, and um, if, uh, if we do get back together again soon, uh, we will, instead of having the meal that we were supposed to have together, we'll do that, um, we'll do that when, we, um, when we gather together again. So, in order to accommodate that, we'll kind of jump everything forward. So, all of that to say, men, uh, we will meet tonight. And then we'll go men and ladies every other Sunday evening uh, on a rotation basis until such time as we're able to meet together again uh, as a church family. When we do that, we'll have a, a meal together and celebrate kind of our, our reunion. So men, look forward to meeting together uh, tonight. And then when we are able to regather, uh, it'll be for the dinner on the grounds um, that uh, we intended to have this week. Same thing is for our life groups on Wednesday night. Uh, we'll be meeting together. Our life group uh, will be gathering via Zoom. Um, you'll, you can look for information on your, in your email uh, as to signing in to, to that group and um, plan on seeing you there for that time, time of a little more interaction. I do want to remind you of our, um, our theme for this year. You know, with all that's going on, I think it's probably easy for us to forget um, kind of the, the thing that we had decided to focus on this year. But don't, don't forget that we're still thinking about how we can, how we can lead that one to the Savior, uh, how we win one to Christ, how we can lead another, disciple another, um, how we can follow someone else, and then how we as a church collectively uh, can send the gospel forward through a messenger. So our goal for this year is something that we kind of want to keep in our minds. We're having unusual contacts with people, maybe different than what we've been able to have in the past. And so that may open up for, for, for us some opportunities. So don't, um, don't forget about those things. And um, we'll, uh, 
we'll be reminding ourselves of, of that and be prayerful about opportunities um, to, to minister. We're going to take, in a moment, we're going to take an opportunity uh, for some prayer requests, and we've mentioned in the feed that um, we, uh, you can send in prayer requests either um, uh, through, um, through text or you can put them here in the comments. I do want to mention that uh, we want to be praying for Pat. Um, she has had a little bit of a fever on and off uh, for the last few days, and um, we've been in touch with her and letting her know if there's a way we can minister to her. Uh, we're happy to do that, but um, just be prayerful for her. She is in touch with her doctor and um, just kind of keeping an eye on, on things right now. She's doing fine. Uh, she assured us yesterday, but we still want to be in prayer for her. And uh, so those are uh, the, the requests that I know of at this time. I'm kind of looking here um, through the comments just to see if there are any other prayer requests that we need to we need to mention, and I'm not, I'm not seeing any, um, but uh, we're going to take a moment to have a word of prayer to ask for God's help and blessing uh, on our time together, and um, then we'll have a passage of scripture uh, that we'll read. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity that we have through this technology to at least make contact with each other, um, to stay in touch, to encourage one another. And I pray that even as we uh, worship in our own homes, both um, as we study God's word together and then as we individually, as families worship, we pray that your blessing would be on our time. Uh, we do thank you, Lord, that you are a God that oversees all, that you are in sovereign control of all things, and that you are working your good even in this situation. I pray now, Lord, that you would bless our time together, use it to encourage us, we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Our scripture reading today is the text of scripture that we will be considering. We've given you another passage, a psalm that you can read a little bit later in your family worship time. But if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open to Acts 15. Acts 15. And we're going to read together the last part of the 15th chapter and the beginning of Acts 16. This will be our text of scripture that we'll consider together here in just a little bit. But I would invite you to open your Bible and follow along. Um, if you use one of the Bibles that uh, maybe you have, have gotten from the church that are typically on the seats, um, you will find the text on page 584, 584 of the Black Bibles. And we'll begin our reading in verse 36. Again, Acts 15, uh, beginning in verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us, go, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take him should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, 
a son of a certain Jewish woman who believed that his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him to go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to him the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in their number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. May the Lord bless to our understanding this, the reading of his word. In a little bit, you'll have a time to gather together as a family, to sing songs, to pray together, um, to uh, read a passage of scripture. We've um, given a psalm there that is suggested for your reading uh, as, you, as you gather together. Before we do that, I just want to take us a few moments to consider uh, this passage of scripture together. So we are kind of resuming our um, series in the book of Acts and uh, thinking together as we kind of march through the passage this morning, we're going to be considering Acts 15, uh, verses 36 through 1610, uh, which we just um, looked at together. I've called this message the surprising work of providence. And do you ever find that God works in ways that you don't expect? Um, sometimes we know this because we look back as a retrospective. We look back at, at uh, what God has done, and we find ourselves surprised. That wasn't how we expected God to work, but God sometimes does work in unusual ways. I want to remind us of the kind of the historical context of where we are in this passage of Scripture. So, of course, just about um, 30 years prior, Jesus had risen from the dead, and this news of the good news of Jesus um, rises and falls on the resurrection of Christ. And then, of course, you remember as we journeyed into the book of Acts, we saw a man named Paul who was converted. He was previously persecuting the churches, and through the martyrdom of the first martyr, he uh, came to faith in Christ, and then well, the martyrdom of Stephen, and then, of course, the vision that he had on the road to Damascus, Christ showing himself. So then Paul um, is discipled for a time by a, a man named Barnabas, most especially, and then by the church, and then directly by Jesus himself. And then um, Paul sets out on this missionary journey. He goes from this um, city that is kind of the epicenter of mission activity there in Antioch. And we recently concluded our study of that first missionary journey. Scholars conclude that that first missionary journey was somewhere in the range of 46 to 47. Um, it was probably a, a, almost a two-year-long journey. And then there was a gap of time, and then the Jerusalem Council. We actually studied about that just a few weeks ago, and the reinforcement of doctrine that took place at the hands 
of the Jerusalem Council, where they affirmed, you remember, that we are saved by grace alone. Gentiles do not need to come through the law in order to be saved, but we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. And so this grace that is conveyed through the gospel of Jesus Christ is affirmed there at the Jerusalem Council. It's not long after that that we come to the passage of Scripture that we're considering now. So naturally, Paul is concerned for the believers, for the churches that they had established in their first missionary journey. And what does he do? He, well, he, of course, goes to his buddy Barney. Right? So he and Barney had gone on this missionary journey together. They were connected. They were um, very good friends. They had been through a great deal together. Barnabas had discipled um, Paul. And so very naturally, Paul goes back and says, um, you know, let's revisit these churches. And that was what we read about in the end of chapter 15, verse 36. Paul says to Barnabas, let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now we know because of what they actually did on the journey that he also has the motivation of conveying uh, the, the communication from the Jerusalem Council uh, on part of this journey. So, so they, make, um, they make this effort, they make this plan to go back, and soon into the discussion there is a conflict, there's a disagreement. So when we come to the end of chapter 15, what we are, what we're, we're, we're in the midst of a disagreement. But in reality, you think about it, the whole passage is about that, isn't it? I mean, if you go back in chapter 15, you saw that the whole occasion for the Jerusalem Council was a conflict, was a disagreement. That one ended a little more uh, uh, happily than the one that we read here about in the end of chapter 15. And so um, this passage, two men who loved each other, who were, were knit together, who were brothers in Christ, who had do, done so much work together, now have a point of contention. So what is that point of contention? Well, you remember that John Mark had gone with them on the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 had gone out together. They had taken this young man, uh, John Mark, with them. Uh, he, he, he was probably a very young man. In fact, he could have been as young as 17 as we put some clues together. And so they, he was with them on the first leg of the trip, and then shortly after arri arriving in Perga, he returned home to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know the full extent of why. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us, and perhaps Luke even knew, but, but uh, under the inspiration of the Spirit, chose not to share the details of that. But for whatever reason, John Mark left the missionary band. Now, it seems that Paul saw that as, as abandonment, as forsaking the task, forsaking the mission. And although there's a host of, of possible reasons, um, Paul was not pleased with John Mark's decision. And so when Barney, his buddy Barney, says, hey, let's, let's go take John Mark on this second missionary journey, Paul would have none of it. Uh, there was not, he had no interest in taking someone that had, had quit on them, had, had abandoned them as he saw it on the second missionary journey. And so what do we learn in this passage? Well, we see that there's this sharp disagreement. In fact, the word that is used here in the original language is a very strong word. Um, they are sharply divided over this question. I, I would say this, just kind of as a, an observation of what we know about Paul and Barnabas. They were very different kind of men. 
God used them in remarkably different ways, and in part, it's because of their temperament. Um, Paul was a visionary, right? He was a driven, uh, unrelenting man. He was a visionary who, who wanted to accomplish a task, and, and nothing would stop him. He was goal-driven. He was tenacious. Barnabas, on the other hand, was, was a man who was known of great compassion. In fact, his name itself even implies that, the very meaning of his name. And so he was perhaps more gentle, perhaps more patient than, than Paul. Um, both of these characteristics are something that God can use. Um, just let you in on a little secret, you and me and whoever's watching on the World Wide Web. Um, you have two pastors who are wired differently. We have different personalities. We have different strengths. And it's interesting, as I looked at this passage, I thought, you know, one of us is just a little bit more like Paul, kind of driven and um, a little bit stubborn. And the other one is a little bit more like Barnabas, an encourager, a, a helper, a, a patient person. I'll let you guess which pastor is which. <laughs> but the reality is God uses different kinds of servants, right? And as those servants work together, they can complement one another. Uh, they, can, they can encourage uh, one another in, in ways that perhaps the other is not as strong. But they can also help to rein in some of those characteristics that, that we sometimes are, are too, um, too extreme on. And so I, I believe that in the, on the first missionary journey, God sovereignly put these two men together to complement one another, to help, them one another, help one another. And then they come to this point of, of contention. Well, who was right? I mean, who, who was right? Well, the reality is the text doesn't tell us. It seems that the church perhaps sided with Paul. Um, they were sent out with the blessing of the church. No comment is made similarly for Barnabas. Yet at the same time, if we look at what transpired after this, we know that John Mark became a very valuable servant of God under the tutelage of Barnabas. So it really could be argued either way, that Paul was right or that Barnabas was right. I would say probably our judgment goes with Paul and our heart goes with Barnabas. Nonetheless, this sharp disagreement that we read of in verse 39 was such that they could not come to terms with, with one another. There was not a, a resolution that could be made. And so, there's a lot of valuable lessons here. I mean, on the one hand, this is sad, right? On the one hand, it's sad that we see these two great men of God who can't come to a resolution. But if we think about it in the broader picture, God is using it providentially. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is this. God can providentially work through the disagreements of his frail servants. God can providentially work through the disagreements of his frail servants. And this is what happens here. These men set out on separate journeys. Paul to the north and west and Barnabas proceeds to Cyprus, where they started their first missionary journey. And as they do, the word is multiplied. So what was one missionary band now becomes two missionary bands, and in the providence of God, the, the gospel is multiplied in a way that it might not have been. Now, 
I don't know about you, but this, this passage really intrigues me. I find this passage interesting, and I find it very helpful. And here's the, here are a couple of the reasons that I find it helpful, and I hope you can apply it in the same way. The reality is Christians sometimes disagree, even good Christians, even Christians who love the Lord and love the gospel, sometimes disagree. In fact, sometimes they disagree strongly. Now, make no mistake, we should endeavor to get along with one another. We should work hard at resolving our differences. Whenever possible, we should, we should lay those differences aside and we should work together. There's no doubt that the scripture is clear. We should seek to be bound together in peace. But the fact is that there are sometimes situations in which that resolution does not take place. And I would say for us to recognize this, it's okay for us to disagree sometimes. Now, we should do it graciously. We should do it lovingly. We should disagree agreeably, as we have heard some people say before. But the reality is that we will sometimes disagree. I sometimes hear well-meaning people say something like this. Well, it's unfortunate that all Christians can't work together. It's unfortunate that all Christians can't lay their differences aside and just come together and live in harmony. Is it? I mean, is it always unfortunate? Or is it possible that God uses that to actually multiply ministry? I hear this sometimes when it comes to denominations. Denominations, at least historically, have been separations over a point of genuine conviction. Now, in the modern day, many of the mainline denominations have forsaken the Word of God and have forsaken the Gospel. Make no mistake about that. But let's be clear. The origin of denominations really revolves around, um, Protestant denominations revolves around uh, people who disagreed over secondary issues, lesser issues, and they found it better to, to worship and to minister separately than together. Let me give you a little formula. Do you recognize, and you'll see it here uh, in just a second, that, that religious liberty, in an, in an environment where there's religious liberty, and people have genuine convictions, that will result in denominations. That's actually where denominations come from. You see, if you take either one of those things out of the equation, you won't have denominations anymore. In other words, if there is a a state-imposed church, then there's only one denomination. It's the one that the state says. Well, well, we don't want that. We want to recognize the right of conscience. We want to recognize religious liberty. Or, if you take the second element of that, people don't have genuine convictions, then there's no reason to separate. We can just all kind of get along in this hodgepodge of, of not having... Um, clearly held, uh, strongly held beliefs. But if you have an environment where religious liberty persists and that people have genuine convictions, that will result in denominations. Now, again, I'm not talking about those who deny the gospel. Uh, there are those who, who do not hold to the authority of Scripture. Uh, they do not hold to the gospels as taught in the New Testament. But amongst those who genuine belie genuinely believe the gospel, but differ over secondary issues, 
sometimes the best course of action is actually for them to minister separately, much like the situation we're reading about here in Acts 15. And so our brethren who are Presbyterian, for example, who hold genuinely to the gospel, they preach a faithful gospel, we might disagree with them on some lesser things, some things that perhaps would even prevent us from being uh, together in the same local assembly, the same local church. Yet we still love them in Christ. And we recognize that God is using them in a different way than he is using us. And for that, we should be thankful. That, that people of genuine conviction, people who are genuine followers of Christ, will sometimes disagree, and God will actually use that to multiply ministry. And so it is sometimes sad that Christians can't let their differences, lay their differences aside. But if Christians can disagree agreeably, if they can do so in a charitable and gracious way, then sometimes the best thing for them is to minister in separate places, in different ways. And God, in his providence, can use those things. So we see here that Paul uh, proceeds with Silas, and they begin to move westward. And that really is the advance of the gospel. And it's interesting that if you look at this map that you'll see here on the screen, or uh, if you look at it in your Bible, you'll see that they, they begin to retrace their steps from the first missionary journey, some of these same places they had visited before, and they make their way to Lystra and Derby. We learn here in um, the second passage, the second portion here in, in, in Acts 16 as we move there, that God providentially works the discipleship of his fledgling servants. So they come to this young man named Timothy. They bring him into this band. It is very likely that Timothy actually had come to faith in Christ through Paul's first missionary journey. And he is showing great promise as he grows in Christ. And so they bring him into this band. We see this in the first part of 16. They came to Derby and Lystra. And a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now, of course, if you've studied the Bible for any length of time, you know that Timothy becomes an important uh, comrade of, of Paul. He is someone who is a son in the faith, one who Paul pours himself into. Verse 2 says, He was spoken well of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So already this young man had begun to show the promise of, of ministering well. He was well spoken of. So, so Paul is not taking along someone who he, he hopes will, will grow into a, a faithful person. He's taking a faithful young man, and he's grooming him. He, he is continuing to pour into him, continuing to train him. And in fact, it's interesting because around here at North Hills, you'll talk, hear us talk a lot about 2 Timothy 2. And that's exactly what Paul, in the years to come, will tell Timothy. The things that you've learned from me, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is the beginning of that pattern that Paul then commends to Timothy later in, in 2 Timothy. So this is what he does. He says in, verse three, the, says in verse 3 that he will have him to come and go with them, and he takes them along on the journey. Now there's this interesting note here in verses 3, in the end of verse 3, 
about the circumcision of Timothy. And you may wonder, given what we all we learned about in Acts 15, about the, the, the fact that G Gentiles do not need to come through the law, you remember this whole discussion? Uh, now we're seeing Paul circumcise Timothy. Well, what's that all about? Well, it's interesting that Paul did not circumcise Titus, but he did circumcise Timothy. And I think if you look at it closely, what you'll discover is that the details are different. The details of what Paul is doing here is not, it doesn't have anything to do with grace. It doesn't have anything to do with Timothy's salvation or earning favor with God or anything like that. It is simply the fact that because he was of, of dual parentage, right? He had a Jewish and a Gentile parent. He was removing a stumbling block that would have existed in giving the gospel to the Jews. So he's not compromising the gospel. He's not going back on what he had stood strongly for at the Jerusalem Council. Rather, he is removing a stumbling block, a barrier to the gospel, by circumcising uh, Timothy. And Timothy is happy to submit to this uh, as a means of giving the gospel. So that happens in, um, in verse 3. And then they begin to go throughout the cities in verse 4 and 5, strengthening the churches and increasing them. There's a valuable lesson here, and it's a lesson that you hear us talk about a lot. It is the importance of discipling others. God is using Paul to, to sow into the life of Timothy so that God will then use Timothy to carry forward the gospel. So he's working. He's, he's uh, using Paul to disciple Timothy. Young though he is, Timothy will prove to be a great servant of God. And so this is an important reminder for us. It's something that you hear us ask often. Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring yourself into? Who are you training? Who is a Timothy that you can be um, bringing along uh, for the good of, of the gospel? We see one way in which, one final way in which God providentially works, and that is through diverting his flexible servants. God providentially works through diverting his flexible servants. So they come here to kind of the western edge of where they intended to go. They, they now are in a place where they would expect to be giving the gospel to new territory, but the Spirit is continuing to push them westward. They'd gone through verse 6, uh, chapter 16. They had gone through Phrygia, through the region of Galatia. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to reach, to preach the word in Asia. Then verse 7, they had come to Mysia, and they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, by what means did the Spirit not permit them? Well, the text doesn't tell us. Uh, we don't know. Um, it could have been um, something like what we observe in the Macedonian call, where the Holy Spirit is directly speaking to Paul. It seems unlikely, though, because uh, Luke is specifically calling out the Macedonian call as a, as a special circumstance. And so it seems like if that had what it, that's what had been taking place in the previous verses, uh, we wouldn't see it treated the way the Macedonian call the way we do here in a little bit. So we don't know what circumstances God is using. Some Bible scholars have actually posited that perhaps it's, um, it's actually health that is diverting them. Uh, and the reason for that is because Luke joins their band in verse 10. Did you see that? 
Did you catch that little change in pronouns as we were reading through it? So in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with them, come over and help. So after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. It's a very minor note, but what it tells us is at this point, Luke, the writer of Acts, has joined the missionary, the missionary team. And so some say, some look at that and say, well, perhaps uh, he was there um, to provide medical care. We don't know that. That's supposition. Nonetheless, here's one thing that is clear. The Spirit is guiding them. The Spirit is moving them where they did not intend to go. And so this Macedonian call is something that really changed the course of history. So in verses 6 through 10, we see they're there, they're there encamped. Paul receives a vision to come over to Macedonia. Right, this is what would be modern Greece. All right, now, I don't know how well you know your geography, but if you look at this map here, hopefully you can see it, you see Paul's first missionary journey is in blue, and then the return from that is in kind of a yellow color. That was a relatively small loop. This next loop, uh, this next missionary journey is, is in, uh, outbound in purple. They go all the way across Asia, Asia Minor. All right, this is now at the edge of the Aegean Sea. You would expect them now to turn back, work their way southward and eastward to return to either Jerusalem or Antioch from which they come. But this is the point at which the Macedonian call occurs. They cross the Aegean Sea and go into what is now called Europe. I mean, this is the gospel coming to Europe for the first time. So God is redirecting them. They're intending to go back to the same churches that they had established before, encourage the believers that they had already led to Christ, but, but there's new territory to be pushed into. This is the gospel coming to Europe. Now, many of us, myself uh, being one of them, are of European descent. Now, there are many of you watching or listening who are not of European descent. Um, Perhaps you're of Asian descent or African descent. And it's interesting to see how the gospel first made its way into those continents as well. But this is um, the first time that the gospel makes its way into Europe. And it is neat to see how the gospel is expanding to all different peoples, uh, different lands, and this really changed the course of history. It would be in the coming centuries that Europe would be the, the epicenter of gospel advancement. And so this is the beginning of that. God redirecting their plans. Now, I think about the circumstances that we're in right now. Uh, has God redirected any of your plans lately? <laughs> is anything going not as planned right now for you? Uh, do you have any, any plans that... Uh, aren't quite working out like you thought they would. I mean, I look at our church calendar and I think, okay, well, we have this planned. Oh, I guess we're not going to do that. Today is the day that marks our church anniversary. We had, we had planned to come together and to celebrate and to have a dinner together and to think about 
um, you know, all of these wonderful things that God has done over these last several years. Well, that plan didn't work out. I look ahead on our calendar and I wonder to myself, you know, what's going to happen? The colleges are canceling graduations. So young people who have worked for four years to get to that point of, of commencement are, are disappointed because they're not able to march across the stage and receive their diploma. Plans for this summer, um, kids going to camp, um, churches holding Bible schools, all of these things, they're all in flux, they're all up in the air, we don't know what's going to happen. Let's be reassured by something. Even if things don't go according to our plan, even if, if God um, diverts us from what we had planned to do, he can still use it. He is still using it. And so whatever your plans are that aren't working out, whatever things, circumstances in your life aren't going to according to plan right now, rest assured, God can use those. And we said here that God can providentially work through the diverting of his flexible servants. Um, we tell young people when we have taken mission trips in the past, um, you know, the the mantra, um, you know, to kind of to kind of steal from the from the Latin, you know, the the Marines say semper fi, we say semper gumby, always be flexible. Right? It's important for God's servants to be flexible, recognizing that it's good to make plans, it's good to try to execute those plans, but we always have to submit those plans to God. What does James say? Instead of saying we will go do this or that, we ought to say if the Lord will, we will go do this or that. May our plans always be submitted to God. May we always recognize that God is providentially working and his plans don't always coincide with ours. May we, may we be humble enough. May we be flexible enough. May we be willing to submit ourselves to God's providence knowing that he will sometimes change our plans and we should leave our plans in his hands. So many lessons. We could spend a long time applying these passages, but I think the, the take-home lesson is this. God can providentially work even through various circumstances. We saw it in the beginning through the disagreement of his frail servants. And I want to highlight just one, one other thing I don't think I mentioned. Uh, I said his frail servants. You recognize that, that, that Paul and Barnabas were human. Right? That's why they had this conflict. They weren't perfect. I don't know if you ever get frustrated if you ever get disappointed by God's servants. Maybe even sometimes people you look up to as, as wonderful uh, uh, men and women of Christ, and you're disappointed because, guess what? They're imperfect. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for passages like this that remind us even God's choicest servants were imperfect people. Sometimes they, they didn't agree. May we be gracious enough and humble enough to recognize that God's servants are flawed. But God can still providentially work even when those servants disagree. God can providentially work through the discipleship of his fledgling servants. And may I encourage you to redouble your efforts to, to disciple others, to pour yourself into others. And then lastly, God can providentially work through the diverting of his flexible servants. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dismiss here in just a moment for your time of family worship. Father, we do thank you for this passage that reminds us 
that we experience the same struggles that so many of your servants of the past have. And may we learn even from this lesson of imperfect people and the way in which you, in your graciousness, in, you, in your providence, continue to work through us. Lord, help us to be people who, when we do disagree, we do it in a way that is gracious, that is loving. And Lord, may we be reminded that even right now, our plans are disrupted. They are not what we had hoped and expected. May we be submissive to you, knowing that you are in control. Take now these moments that we have together of family worship time and use them in our families and in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we have given you a little bit of a guide for family worship time. We trust that you received that by email. We've given you some songs that you um, might want to sing together. I've given you both the written music, and then if you choose to use them, there are some links there to YouTube videos that might kind of guide you as you sing through those together. Um, we have recommended that you read Psalm 9 together, and then uh, close in prayer, obviously. Uh, you can, oh, I missed one thing. There's one, there also is a reading for the children. Um, so you, I would encourage you to do that uh, first if you choose to. Uh, there are two there. Um, you can read one of them or both of them. Uh, they're called The Quarrel. That's about the first portion of the passage that we considered this morning. And then Silas and Timothy, it talks about Paul's compatriots there. So read those. There are some discussion questions that you can use for talking with the young people, and then again, those songs that you can use. Um, I did neglect to send out the hymn of the month, Lord Build Your Church. I neglected to include that in the family worship guide, but I sent that this morning, so you can download that music and use that if it is helpful to you. Well, again, I just want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we're delighted to be able to use this technology platform. Uh, many thanks to Ryan, who is here with me at the church, um, watching over some of the technical aspects of this, which has allowed me to concentrate a little bit more uh, on exactly what we're doing, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you for being with us, and our prayers are with you throughout this week. Continue to communicate with one another how we can be praying for one another, encouraging, and always submissive to God's providential plan. Thank you, and have a good week.